listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of the Testudo Times Podcast, the first of many in the year 2017, which is already off to a great start because Penn State lost in the Rose Bowl, and that was awesome. So that's a great start to a year after the 2016 Rose Bowl turned out to be a pretty good indicator of how bad 2016 was going to be. But we're not focusing on bowl games that Maryland wasn't in or isn't in yet. They'll get to a Rose Bowl one day. Uh, I have a couple of people here to talk about and a crazy amount of Maryland news that happened over our little hiatus. Uh, first of all, Ryan is here. Happy New Year, Ryan. Happy New Year to you too, Matt. We have so much stuff to get to on this show. It's nice to have a lot of good mixed bag, but there's a lot of good things Maryland-wise to talk about, and that's always fun. Yeah, no, it is. I, uh, I like yeah. talking about Maryland football and <laughs> even basketball sometimes. Even Sometimes, yes. And Thomas is also here. Uh, for more good things. I just want to ask you quickly. We'll get to the UConn game in a bit, but that was the best atmosphere I had seen in Xfinity Center, at least in my time tracking Maryland sports for most any basketball game, let alone a women's game. That was a lot of fun. And watching it on TV was one of the most enjoyable basketball games I've watched for a long time. You know, this was one of those games that the day that I knew they were coming to College Park, which was about a year before it actually happened, you know, I, I was excited for the whole year. And unfortunately, you know, I was driving down from uh, Jersey that day because my family was, you know, visiting family. And we got there right at the tip. And, you know, so I, I didn't get to soak in the atmosphere as much as I wanted to. But it was, you know, by by the end of it, when they made the fourth quarter run, it was insane. I've really never been a part of anything like that. So... It was memorable for sure. It was fun, and we'll get to talk about that game in a bit because we ought to give that game its due as well as the women's team its due. Uh, But we're going to start with football, and I know that it's been eight days since the best bowl game of all time until the 2017 Rose Bowl uh, took place. Uh, But there was some bowl game review. I I think it was maybe the ringer. Somebody can remind me if if you know what I'm on about. But there was a bowl game review of previews, and it said, here's a reason to watch every single bowl game. Yeah? And yeah, that was Roger from, uh, from the yes. Ringer. He used to be used – yes, he's now with the Ringer. used to be at SB Nation. And he basically said, don't watch the Quick Lane Bowl. That was a mistake. <laughs> you should have watched the Quick Lane Bowl because it was amazing. And not in a good way, but it was fun. Uh, Ryan, I never thought a game – a football game between Maryland and Boston College could be that much fun. But it turned out that it actually was that much fun. Especially the second half. The second half was a lot more fun than the first half, but it was, I think, in general, a fun game that we all expected to be pretty awful. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't think many people were disagreeing with Roger when he said that. I, I certainly wasn't. But uh, yeah, I think the it was one of those games that you know you're following along on Twitter and you can see people, if, you know, you know you'll we've all been on the other end of this too where you know you'll see everyone else is finally tweeting about this game and then you're like oh well i guess i better watch it and that's sort of happened with this one where you know everyone was tweeting oh the quick lane ball this is gonna be terrible and then they're like all right you guys need to watch this right now and it was weird when i was going over the game film again and i didn't even realize that in the fourth quarter the only score was a maryland field goal it and just yet, seemed like there it was, was more. It, it was really dramatic because of the two long pass plays that Maryland got in the third quarter. But, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. You know, we didn't probably I think cover every, the game as much as we would have leading up to it just because uh, it was the, it was the quick lane bowl, it was the holidays, we were done with finals and all that. But uh, it, it ended up being uh, one of the – more enjoyable uh, games I've covered this year, and well, you know, past two years, obviously, because last couch year journalism but, it as well. Yeah, and I, I think it, that, oh, go on. Uh, well, and you know, after it, I wrote this. I wrote about how you know it was supposed to be really boring, and then it ended up being really fun. And it was interesting to, to read the comments because people were like, "This wasn't fun. Oh, it was 
it was terrible. And it was, you know, you know, if you're a Maryland fan and, you know, Maryland lost, then you, you know, you're going to be like, ah, that, I guess that was bad. But m- most of then, then a couple of other people came to the rescue in the comments and were like, no, like this, this was fun. And I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear as, you know, I'm a more partial observer than people in the comments at least. And it'd be interesting, interesting to see what, uh, what they, what, what the opinion would be from someone who was a, you know, real diehard Maryland fan that's living off of, you know, every snap. I think it'd be... It'd be I don't think there's anybody who's living off of every snap in the Quick Lane Bowl, but if there are those people, please contact us at uh, our Twitter accounts, which are very readily available, and you will be on the podcast, so you can talk about your life watching that <laughs> Quick Lane Bowl, because we would love to hear about that. Uh, it was a very stupid game, and I think, Thomas, the best part about it was it was stupid in the only possible way that it was, could be stupid, if you catch what I'm saying. It was stupid in the only possible way that it could be stupid that none of us thought could happen. Like, everybody started completing crazy pass plays. We're like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here? You know, Maryland couldn't do anything on offense for a while, and then Ty Johnson broke off a big run, and at the end of the half, BC had a long touchdown, and we thought, game's over, right? And then Maryland hit two crazy long passes at the start of the third quarter, and you're like, wait a minute, who the hell are these teams that are playing? And I think because in general this bowl season really sucked, maybe outside of a, like three games, you know, the quick lane bowl is going to hold a lot more weight for some of us because it was a legitimately fun game, even if it was fun for stupid reasons. Yeah, I mean, all, all of that that you mentioned. And also um, a couple things you even forgot. BC pulled off this pass from their wide receiver to their quarterback. I had mm-hmm. seen the Jaguars do that two days ago, so that wasn't nearly as special. So I'm just going to point that out. My own bias is there. I, I did see the Jaguars do it, actually. But it was it, awesome when the Jaguars It's one of those just things. Let you know. Yeah, and it's just so awful when it's done to your team because, well, didn't, well, didn't you know, some you, other you figure every in the bowl Washington game besides BC? I, they, I, they probably did. It's, it's, it's bowl season. I'm sure. I just don't know off the top of my head. Um, and also, when the, on Maryland's first possession of the third quarter um they fumbled on the goal line and bc recovered at that point it was 36 13 and we all just kind of collectively gave up and then they scored yes a two very quick touchdowns after that and then suddenly within five minutes in the third quarter it was 20 it was a 36 27 and that score held for 20 minutes I, I even forgot about that stupid play at the goal line where Perry Hills had the ball ripped out. I completely forgot about that play until you mentioned it. Like, that's yeah, how that, dumb this that's game got. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I personally, I, I wouldn't, sorry to interrupt, but like, I think this game, I mean, I don't think it was a necessarily dumb game. I think it was, you know, we're all inclined to think it was dumb because the two teams who are participating weren't the, you know, they were two of the lowest rated teams in bowl season, but you know, I mean, it was it was interesting to see because Maryland was scoring on one of the better, if not best, defense. You know, one of the top. I mean, they weren't getting chunk defenses plays, they've but played. they got three gigantic plays in this game. Yeah, which which is exactly just this season. That was the only way Maryland was going to score, basically. But uh, and and BC, you know, that that kind of play, that's exactly what BC does well, which is they have a really good defensive line that you know can get into your backfield and they did you know i i because i watched that play a couple times and terrence davis the right guard was pulling and uh his man didn't get picked up and that was just i mean he was like it's not very often these days where a quarter you see a quarterback not even be able to hand the ball off because the defenders are already in the backfield but that's what happened well you're also forgetting that perry hills got intercepted on a play where a defensive end jumped the screen pass like this is what yes. we're talking about as the level of stupid that was in this game well again, but i mean but but to be fair that's that's like harold landry is one of the better oh, yeah, he's, he's probably amazing. a first round prospect he's really totally, good if my team wasn't picking fourth i would have loved my team to have taken him later in the first round which is where i think he'll end up going he was yeah. awesome he was so much fun to watch now obviously it sucks as Maryland fans that we had to watch that. Now, there are two things that we do have to talk about from this game uh, towards the end of it. The first is, sadly, after the interception for Maryland in the fourth quarter, 
the worst series. I, I'm a Jaguars fan. I've made that well known on this show before. So I've seen stupid red zone possessions quite a lot, including Toby Gerhardt getting stuffed four times from the one yard line in one game. But I have never seen a stupider red zone possession, Thomas, than I saw with that Maryland one that took five minutes off the clock and they didn't score. I have also never seen a team go from third and goal to first and ten before because of a penalty. Like, that's, again, the level of stupid we were talking about in this game. And it was fun stupid. It wasn't annoying stupid. It was annoying, but it was fun in that sort of way. But that red zone possession was so awful, and it exemplifies so many of the things that were wrong with the later Randy Edsel Terps. And there's not much that, I mean, Walt Bell had some bad play calling issues, but this is still basically Randy Edsel's team. So it exemplifies a lot of issues with this team in full, in like full bore, I guess you could say. But in, in many other ways, it was just, it gives an idea of how close this team, I guess, came. And in this game to winning a bowl game, if they had scored a touchdown early on in that possession, they probably could win the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the way, I think the word, instead of maybe stupid, I think this, yeah. we, we, we joke about kind of, co- you know, college football, college basketball being drunk. And yeah, this was kind of a yeah. yeah. It, it was certainly drunk. I, I'll go. I don't know. What was it drunk on, though? That's the better question. Comment section, figure that yeah. one out. But anyway. Figure out what, what they served these teams from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that possession, you know, Savage had the interception. He returned it. Um, inside the 20, and they got down to the one, like, I think a play or two later. And I actually, I was, I was writing the gamer and we have to have these things up quick. So I, I pre-wrote like, which, you know, the, the interception led to a Maryland touchdown and then they got sacked like eight times in a row. And, you know, I, I took that out and then they got, it, it was just so weird because they went all the way back to like the edge of field goal range. Um, and then they got sacked on the third down got play, but got wiped because of the face mask. Yeah, then got a gift and got another first down, and then and then fumbled it away. It, it was so insane that I don't know. It, it's if you're watching Maryland all the time, it doesn't feel that not you know out of the ordinary, but it is out of the ordinary for a team to be that close and take that many plays and not score. Somebody said on Twitter to, to Maryland fans, does this happen all the time? And I'm like, yes, it does happen all the time. Maybe not in then not that way, extent, but... but the kind of just like, what the hell is going on here plays, you know, again, maybe we saw less of that this year because the team was on the whole better coached and played better against worse opposition. But last year that happened all the time. If they ever got into the red zone, let's be honest. If you told me before the game that Maryland would, run 10 plays after getting inside the two-yard line and not score. I'd believe you, even though I would shudder. Yeah, I, I would too. Like, that was, the, that was the scary part about it. And then I think there was a lot of hate for Walt Bell, not only after that series, Ryan, but after the series that Maryland went four and out on when they could have gone to win the game and there was not a play called for Ty Johnson. And mm-hmm. because Ty Johnson had had a couple of gigantic runs – he didn't do much aside from the big runs, but the fact that he didn't get a call on those four plays was, again, really stupid and kind of exemplified a lot of the issues that Maryland has. Now, I could buy some reasons why you wouldn't call a play for Ty Johnson then. A, because you have no timeouts, and B, because Ty Johnson either gets nothing or gets everything, and I don't think you can risk it then. But still, you're it's the last series of the season you give the ball to your best player even if it's like a screen pass so i can understand the criticism from walt bell there um yeah i mean i I wouldn't call it stupid but i i do understand where the criticism is coming from and that is that has sort of been the kind of the common argument from fans this entire season is that well you got a guy who gets nine yards per carry why is he not getting the ball more and I think there is there is some truth, some validity to that argument. Um, I think it was kind of uh, shocking that Johnson didn't get the ball in the last six ish minutes of the game. He didn't have a carry. But uh, when you know, it's it's a little bit more defensible when you look at you know some of those were red. You know, a, a, a good portion of those really were red zone opportunities where. West Brown and Kenny Goins really are probably your better options. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, at you know the end of the game when everything's moving really quick and you want to pass the ball because you can't stop the clock. Um, I do understand that. Uh, but yeah, this, it was, uh, I think that's going to be the interesting thing to watch next year is does Ty Johnson get more carries, you know, like, I mean, next year you got to think it's going to be more of a Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison show, you know, Anthony McFarland would certainly throw a big wrench into that equation if he were to, if he were to come aboard. But, uh, you know, I, you got to imagine Johnson will get more carries next year, but you also got to imagine he will, you know, he has some, he has some things to work on, especially his pass blocking, which, uh, which was lacking at certain points in the game and has been, I think, you know, and that's, that's, I imagine for a young running back, that's probably one of the last things you really master, but, uh, you know, it's possible also that, and this is just me theorizing because I don't understand football enough to know, but, uh, you know, when you're in a drive that it, your, you know, clock's winding down, you need someone who's going to be able to pass block well. So that's why you don't have Johnson in the game and you don't have enough time to sub. So that's why you don't put him in. I think that, that, that could be, could be an argument that could also be definitely refuted by someone who knows more about football than I do. I think it's reasonable. I, I, I do totally think it's reasonable. But some of the – and Ty Johnson isn't a great short yardage back, which is why he didn't get calls in the red zone, and I, I understood that a little bit more. But this isn't the first time I've had issues with Walt Bell's play calling. Again, there was a fourth down play against Penn State that I had some issues with. But Walt Bell is right. still a very young offensive coordinator, and this is his first year at this kind of level. I mean, he and, and the, the, the Penn State, the Penn State Jake Funk sweep, he totally, he, uh, he, he copped to that one pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, there, there were also, I think on that play, they were, you know, they were running around the edge and there were at least two missed blocks that would have sprung them. But oh, yeah, but, but though there were other issues, the play calling issues that we had at times this season. And I think some of that is Walt Bell. Again, as I said, he's a young offensive coordinator. He's still incredibly talented and took an offense that was so ridiculously awful last year and made it somewhat palatable. Uh, he had some good players to help him out with that, but he came from the Sun Belt, which is the Sun Belt, to the Big Ten East, which, let's still be fair, it was the best division in all of college football. He's going to have some time to grow uh, and work on some things. But, uh, Thomas, last comment on this game. Maryland lost. They lost close. BC turned out to be a better team than I think most of us thought because this is Boston, Boston College. Uh, what's the quick final summary for you on the 2016 season? Because Ryan wrote his thing, which you all should have read already, uh, on the season. So what's your final word on the season? Um, I think to me, it's, they, I mean, they, they didn't really do anything unexpected. Um, you know, they won pretty much every game they had to win and they lost pretty much every game they were supposed to lose. And, you know, in, the games that could have gone both ways they win about even um i kind of unofficially predicted six and seven you don't normally you know predict for that 13th game but i imagine they would get six and six and play you know someone a little better than bc but um you know it's totally reasonable that they would lose that and it's bc did look like a decent offense i mean with a month to prepare it looks like they you know got a pretty good game plan going so that's a credit to their coaches and uh you know and Maryland's Maryland defense discernible flaws. Last year. Yeah, Maryland's going to have a lot to come back next year. So, you know, we'll see. Now, somebody mentioned this, and this is something that I guess we're going to talk about a lot, not, not necessarily on this show, but as we go through the offseason, somebody mentioned Maryland could be infinitely more talented next year and better coached and still finish with the same record because their schedule is just ridiculously brutal. Uh, the, the Big Ten teams that they have to play next year, the crossover opponents, it's all really unlucky, but such is the life when you're now playing in the Big Ten. But let's move on to that future, so to speak, Ryan. Despite the loss in the Quick Lane Bowl to a team that isn't very good, Boston College still isn't very good, this has been a big, big time for recruiting. We'll start, I guess, first with another four-star committing, and that's, uh, what's his name, Marquise Ball, I think? Uh, Marquise Bell. Bell. Ball, Bell, that, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll at least remember Bell now because there's two Bells on the team. Uh, this will, I don't know if this is a luxury additional commitment, but it's certainly one that seemed like it was leaning towards Maryland for a while. And 
you have this, you have a Juco quarterback that's coming in, and also Bell is going to enroll early so he doesn't count to the official commitment counter, so to speak, which is why Maryland's rankings will still go up on 24-7, even though they have like 30, they'll have like like 33 recruits by the end of it, it feels like. So let's get a quick summary on all of the recruiting things that have happened for Maryland uh, in the past two weeks, because a lot has. Whew. All right, let's see if I can, uh, if can get us get us a get us a timeline here. So, I mean, the most recent um, the most recent additions, basically, uh, Bryce Brand, who is a he's an outside linebacker uh, who the coaching staff seems to like pretty well, and um, he he was a weird situation where. It was reported that he was flipped. Then it was reported that he wasn't. But like, it really seemed like he was going to. He just hadn't announced it yet. So finally, the other day, he announced it. Um, but uh, they they have him. They have Nick Underwood, who's um, a junior college linebacker, who's going to also be enrolling early. Which which I, if you're a JUCO recruit, uh, you you enroll early. That's that's what you do. But uh, y- that's going to be an important thing because Maryland's linebacker depth isn't too great right now. The kind of the most interesting ones that I saw, probably besides Marquis Bell, or no, the most interesting ones were uh, the twins, uh, Breon and Brandon Gaddy. I think who, we talked about them, but you can did, say did, it did again. We, well, yeah, we might as well. Uh, that they, um, you know, they were able to get them in for kind of an unexpected visit. We wrote about it because it was like, oh, look, these recruits are these notable recruits are visiting Maryland. They just uh, decommitted from Tennessee not too long ago. And, you know, they're visiting, you know, that was noteworthy, but, you know, were they ever going to do anything? And then that weekend they committed, which is pretty crazy. Um, And, you know, they've gotten some offers from some other schools, uh, I believe they're taking an official visit to Florida. So, you know, their recruitment is not necessarily over, but if Maryland can keep them, that's a pretty big one. Um, The, it's... What about the, the JUCO quarterback? That's quarterback. Bryce Brand's brother. Uh, Ryan Ryan Brand. I mean, yeah. he's a. It'll be interesting to see what he ends up being. He is a. Uh, he's enrolling early because JUCO recruit, and he's a preferred walk-on in the spring. Although you know, I think the deal with that is might be you know, hey, if there's a scholarship in the spring, then he might be a guy competing for it. That said, Maryland has a whole lot of quarterbacks. Um, Things never but, said about Maryland football ever on this show. They have a lot of quarterbacks. Well, they, they've always had a they've they've had a lot of quarterbacks before, but uh, they've had a lot of bodies at least. But um, I think uh, and you know we'll, uh, you know I think during maybe during spring practice we'll have a better idea of what this we'll be able to talk a little bit more about Caleb Henderson and things like that. But until then, we don't really know. But uh, that was yeah, the I mean. Big one. Yes, Marquise Bell is the big one. Uh, the other important things to know, uh, you know, that uh, we got, uh, what's his, we have uh, Tariq Castro-Fields yep. is announcing in about, in a little under three weeks. So that and Maryland, it's, his top three was Maryland, Alabama, and uh, and Penn State. So that'll be a very interesting battle to watch, I will say. Uh, Maryland doesn't beat Alabama for many prospects. Didn't last recruiting Did cycle, Steph but Diggs is younger brother, right? Uh, last last semester, last last year, the uh, Alabama stole Terrell Hall and Trayvon Diggs, and uh, right out from under Maryland's nose. But um, if it seems like if there's a time that Maryland's going to get a really good recruit from Alabama, might as well be now. Yep. Uh, and I think there's also – so Castro Fields is one, and then there's a couple of others that I think we should mention. Since Castro Fields has, I think, the best chance of these, like, last remaining recruits to go Maryland's way, um, there's a – I mean, we obviously talked about Anthony McFarland and um, Calvin Ashley. Calvin Ashley's committed to Auburn – could flip don't know if that's really feasible or not there are more people who are in the know besides me on that and then McFarland isn't he's the one that's leaning to Miami I think on most of the recruiting services but Maryland's still involved so again yeah I mean I think most places have McFarland about 
about split between Maryland and Miami. But and that it's... would be again. That's not. I mean, he would be amazing. I mean, to add to a yeah. backfield of Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison, and adding him would just be a crazy amount of skill in the backfield. It would be mm-hmm. insane. Uh, and yes. again, that's not. That's one there would you'd be like, oh, Maryland didn't get him. But if they get him, you would be like, holy crap. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. In that Maryland, uh, still Maryland doesn't lists for twenty four seven. Yeah, and Mar- Maryland, you know, their running back is like the one position right now. You look at Maryland, you're like, ah, Mar- Maryland set. Maybe you look at the offensive line and say that too, just because they have all the good recruits. That even if they weren't, you know, the offensive line wasn't amazing this year. That you know, you think by next year they'll be pretty good. But uh, you know, running backs the one position you look at. You're like, yeah, running back set like next. So if they did. If McFarland didn't come here, then you know Maryland would be able to absorb that blow. But uh, that would be that'd be certainly very exciting. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting recruiting stuff happening, and you're going to hear that start to pick up a lot yeah. because this is the last month, and signing day is about a month away, actually. So not yeah. too far away from that. And whatever it is, Maryland has the best class since what? Freegian in 2004, and they and we yeah. were talking about this last night in our chat. Is yeah, 2000, 2004 stars? was the last week, was the last uh, time I could find Maryland was ranked as high as 17. But uh, they've never had this many four-star recruits, not not even not even close, or so, that, since, since then at least. Because so the, the, the number I found was that in the past two years, Maryland had five uh, four-star recruits, or five blue-chip recruits, and this year alone they have seven, uh, which last year's class was like, you know, was kind of screwed up because whenever you change coaches, a bunch, bunch of guys decommit, and obviously that happened with Maryland. But, uh, yeah, seven, seven is a lot. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be any – I have a hard time believing they'd finish with any less than six, you know, because guys decommit, that happens. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting time for recruiting. You will follow Testudo Times for all of the – latest news on that and we'll talk about it on the show when we get to the big stuff so we are 27 minutes into the show and we haven't mentioned basketball once part of that's a good thing and part of that's a bad thing so we're going to start with thomas and let's start with the good game uh the good game was a while ago but it was a really good game and that was illinois and i wanted mark turgeon to before and after every practice show the game film from the illinois game and say you can play like this every game please do it they didn't have DeMonte Dodd or Michael Tchaikovsky in that game, and I was a little bit concerned about that. I didn't know quite how they were going to play in that game without the two big men who sometimes can be pretty important to the way that their offense, especially not necessarily the offense, but the defense, functions. And then it turned out that that was their best game of the season by far. We'll get to the bad one shortly, but on that game, that shows you what Maryland can be like at their best. And we haven't seen it very often, but... You now you can have now seen what the best of this team has to offer, and the best of this team is pretty dang good. Illinois is not horrible, and Maryland wasn't even in the same gym with them most of the game. They could have beaten them by 30 if they tried hard enough. Yeah, that was a very strange game because, as you mentioned, they were missing you know, their two traditional centers. And without those two, uh, like all the lanes were open, you know, all the driving dish was open, and they played, you know, one of their best all-around games of the year. And, of course, that's not to say that, you know, Dodd and Tchaikovsky aren't valuable players. But it, it does mean that, you know, there's a very real world in which Maryland is very good without them. And it, it they're good at different things, obviously. And so, you know, Maryland can surely... Um, you know, run and affect you know a more effective offense with them, but we haven't seen that at its full potential yet. Um, it will be interesting to see going forward, especially whenever uh, Chikovsky gets back. Yeah, I think the other thing, and our good friend Matt Ellentuck has posted this. Like, I don't think Maryland has played with all of their healthy bodies available at this season once yet. There's always been some injury to Tchaikovsky or Dodd or Nickens or Wiley or somebody. So they I remember have... correctly, Turgeon said there was one game that one game. did that, and that was the Kansas State game. Okay. Where they won by, I think, a point. Yeah, they no. came back and stole that game. Um, and Kansas State is very good. That's the only loss they have until 
we're recording this on the Tuesday night, and they're losing to Kansas at this point at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, so let's be honest. You're not going to win when you play at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, even if you're really good, and Kansas State isn't that kind of team. But it, it gives you an idea, Ryan, and I know we have to talk about the bad game, and we will in a minute, but as I said, even though we have now the bad game on the resume, the good game, and it won't show up as a good win in terms of NCAA tournament stock, but what it will show everybody is Maryland can play like this and play against teams by throwing out a small lineup. But it's something Matt had said a lot during when we were talking about this team and he wanted to see more of it, and we saw it out of force against Illinois, and they were so good. It's like now you kind of expect them to do it more because of how good it looked against Illinois. Maybe that's because Illinois couldn't defend east-west passing, but that gives you just some signs of optimism that in case Maryland doesn't have those options in the middle, they can do that sort of thing and have good performances without them. And we thought without them, they were going to be in some sort of trouble. Yeah. And I think, uh, one of the biggest things is that, uh, when Tchaikovsky and Dodd do come back, um, it just gives Maryland more options. You know, Maryland can go small and it's proved that now with both of them out. Um, so now even when they come back, they can provide teams a couple different looks, which will only help. And, um, yeah, I think it's provided some valuable experience for guys like even Bender and uh, well, Bender Gill especially. And LG Gill has been game. in this weird situation all all se- or, you know all young season, where you know he came to Maryland and he was not a particularly a down low player. He was more of a he 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 was more of a wing player than you know what Maryland had, had used him for. But they used him at the five and at the four. But you know more at the five than any team before, because he had um, because Maryland just needed someone to play there, um, and then he switched back. Then Don Checo out again, so then he switched back, and now he's he sort of seems comfortable there a little bit more now. And you can see he works the pick and roll pretty well with Cowan, and uh, he's been getting some rebounds, and it just seems like he's he's fitting in more than he used to. We saw him at that position. We saw Justin Jackson kind of slide in at that position well, and it was the flexibility that we had talked about so often when we were previewing this team that made us all start to think, hey, there's a lot that could happen here, and we were excited about that. And then everything goes wrong because the other game happened. Uh, it, it Unfortunately, it did happen. We have to remind you all. And games don't end after 34 minutes. And Maryland should know that because they were the kings of stupid comebacks. Um, I'll start with Thomas on this one. Maryland wasn't great in this game. I, I Even in many ways, I thought that run that they went on to get the big lead towards the end of the game was sort of fluky. Because they weren't amazing for a while. They were down by eight early in the second half. And I was like, what are they doing in this game? And then they got hot shooting. Kevin Herter was the only Maryland player who was consistently hitting buckets. And that was funny because against Illinois, he was the only Maryland player that wasn't hitting shots. And then they decided not to score for a while. And by a while, I mean the rest of the game. And they lost. Because they, I, I don't know if they were taking their foot off the gas, so to speak. They had a lot of close looks that they weren't finishing. And they slacked up on defense and it cost them. And I kind of feared that there were going to be games like this for Maryland. But I didn't think it was going to happen against Nebraska at home. Yeah, um, the fact, yeah, especially yeah, Nebraska at home, as you mentioned, in the game they were up twelve. I mean, Maryland just traditionally, even when it's you know the team hasn't been that good, doesn't tend to lose those games. Um, but Nebraska switched to a one-three-one with you know around that time left in the game, and Maryland just wasn't prepared for it, and Turgeon. Uh, took the blame for that in the post-game press conference, I believe. And so, um, you know, you you like to think that they'll be, you know, a little better prepared for a one-three-one or just you know something like that next time they come across it and they'll learn from it. But it, it it's really not fun to watch. No, that was one of those frustrating games, and you were watching it slip, and you were like no, this isn't happening, and then it did happen, and then there's that thought in the back of your head that's like, okay, Mellow Trimble's going to get fouled or hit a stupid shot or something, and Maryland's going to get bailed out. 
because Maryland had won so many of those games that they had no business winning, and then this was one that they had no business losing and lost it. So you can play the other side of the coin, so to speak, and it does, and it does hurt you. And Ryan, as I said, I remarked on Twitter to our old friend Dave Tucker after this, and I'm like, Maryland's going to even this out by winning a game later on against a better team that it has no business winning against, and they're going to probably blow them out or something like that, because that's what happens with young teams. And Maryland is still a young team, predominantly. They have veteran players, but this is a team still with three freshmen as very key contributors. So I'm not surprised that this happened at all. Again, it's the opponent that I'm surprised it happened against. And Nebraska had just won in Indiana, which is very impressive. So there's nothing to take away from that them not being a terrible team. But this does not look good for Maryland in any respect. And maybe it's not so terrible that they have six days off between games or five days off between games so that they can kind of fix these problems, you know, and a lot of the things that come with it. So they were. So what are your thoughts overall on this game and how the collapse happened? Because it doesn't really look good on the coaching when you kind of the bottom falls out the way it did. Um. Yeah, I mean, you like – you can really take you can take away for that, you know, first half of the second half that wow, Maryland playing really well again. You know, that that's certainly not something to totally dismiss. But uh yeah, the, they just kinda look lost out there in the at the end. They clearly didn't know what to do against the one three one and Turgeon, you know, took the blame for that. Um but I mean it's just like everything went wrong, you know. They Turgeon said this at the press game at the press conference suits. They just needed they needed one thing to go right, and I mean they had you know layups rimming out, and they had things like that, which obviously you know doesn't excuse losing a thirteen point lead and not scoring for the final six minutes of the game. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was just not. I mean, everything was going wrong. And it was, you know, it was coaching, it was execution. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a combination of those two things. Even, you know, the last two, Maryland got those last two attempts at the end. You know, the first one was Mello for a fairly open three, which, you know, maybe maybe he he, he got, he it, it nicked the back of the rim, I think. But, uh, you know, you regardless... You know, maybe you'd like Mello to get the easy shot and you know go to the go to the hoop, but you know it was a fairly open three for Mello Trimble, which is a thing that you'll take pretty much on any possession, any time if you're Maryland. And then the final play, just Turgeon said it was supposed to be an ISO for Mello or a lob to Dodd. Uh, I, I imagine to Dodd, and that ju- well, it just didn't it of didn't work. Happened. Well, they, yeah, that definitely didn't happen. Yes. Um, so. so uh, yeah, I mean it was, it was just a number of different things, it was in, and you know Nebraska did play well, but it was, it was shocking because it happened, the, it happened so quickly, and you still thought, ah, you know, I was, you know, writing about it, I was like, ah, eh, Maryland's still gonna pull this off, and then, then it gets to the very end, and you're like, oh crap, may, maybe, maybe, maybe they're not. I, I, as I said, like they needed one bucket to go in to stop mm-hmm. the run, and it didn't. And you were just like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Now, the only saving grace from that is that the Big Ten right now is utterly, to use a word that we're gonna reference from an earlier portion of the podcast, drunk. All sorts of stupid things are happening. Purdue lost at home to Minnesota, which makes no sense. Um, what else happened? Uh, Michigan lost at Iowa when they were a favorite. That was kind of Indiana right now. What do they have? Like they've lost three in a row and they're going to be out of the top 25 next week. They just lost to Wisconsin as we're recording this. Like nothing in the big 10 right now makes sense. So I guess that's a good thing for Maryland because I think this team thrives in the sort of chaos. But if you want to make up for this, you now sort of have to beat Michigan on the road because that's now much more of a winnable road game than it has been, even though this is Maryland's first true road game of the season. Let's be honest, Georgetown didn't really count. And then you now have a very wounded Indiana team coming in next Tuesday. Those are two games that if they want to right the ship and get their season back on track and their tournament resume back on track, you're starting to think, well, they kind of have to win both of those games now, don't they? Uh, I mean, 
you would you would like them to win both of these games. Uh, I, I don't. I I definitely wouldn't say have to, uh, but I, I think one thing that's going to be interesting to explore uh, that I can't you know name off the top of my he- head is really how many more games can Maryland you know afford to lose. That's you know I I I don't know the answer to this question, and I don't think anyone will for a couple more weeks. But uh, I think that'll be, you know, because it's not like last year when it was, when it was legitimately any time Maryland lost, you're you're sort of you're searching for the reasons. You're like Maryland shouldn't have lost because there was just very few teams that had as as close to or more talent than Maryland did. And now this year, who who the heck knows? Um, and you kind of have to figure it out after each loss, but. Uh, I don't know. That's that's just an interesting question that I have. That probably doesn't answer the question that you asked. Well, I, I don't think they have to win. I mean, I, it feels like they have to win both now because Indiana was one of their chances at a, a signature win, and Indiana's not going to be ranked anymore. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're not going to be ranked when they come to College Park next week, and that's one of your signature win chances out the window. And then your other one is Purdue at home, and they just lost at home to Minnesota, and Wisconsin, who is the only – like blemish-free team left in the Big Ten, Thomas, and Maryland didn't beat them on the road if they've been playing like they have most of the season sans Illinois. Like that's that's where my issues come in. Like as I said, I still think they can make the tournament, but as the way the Big Ten season is playing out, their margin for error for great wins is starting to slip a lot, and they need at least two decent wins in conference play if they want to get into the tournament because they won't have a super strong resume. And these kind of games are getting to the point where you might want to see them win it. But on this Michigan game coming up on Saturday, the most interesting part of it is we don't know how this team's going to play in a true road game because we haven't seen it yet. And that is the most fascinating part of this game. And it tells us how that goes the rest of conference play because we knew what Maryland was like at home. That's pretty easy to decode and decipher aside from the choking thing. But we don't know how this team's going to play on the road because previous Maryland teams have not been very good on the road. So how's this one going to be? And that's the biggest question for me from this Michigan game. And it's probably going to tell us a lot about how the rest of the season goes. That's fair. Um, I think the idea that they need a sort of signature win in this Big Ten that seems to be, you know, pretty deep, although not very aside good. Of, like it, it's, it's aside one of from like, maybe Wisconsin. A lot yeah. of teams look like possible tournament teams. Like uh, Joe Lenardi has his bracketology right now, and he he had nine Big Ten teams in the tournament. But and I mean, so, but the, to interrupt, sorry, but the thing it's like only Wisconsin is like jumping off the page at you as a really good team. That's like the deal, this though. isn't it's the just, ACC. Just, the ACC has like five or six like wow, they're potentially really dang good teams. Like the Big Ten's got one, and then a lot of like oh, they're seven, eight, nine seeds sort of thing yeah but the yeah but if you play with all of those teams you know and if you hang with all of those teams then you'll definitely put yourself in a good position and i think that's what maryland needs to do and i think yeah michigan is one of those teams and so um you know we'll know a lot more about just maryland and what they're made of uh, after saturday's game yeah stay tuned for next week's podcast when there are probably other reasons to complain a lot about stupid things that they do in that game i've been using the word stupid a lot in this show and i shouldn't do that and i apologize uh let's talk about the women's game i know we're getting to this 40 minutes into the show and i feel bad because uh, it was an amazing game and was so much fun and it was some of the best basketball that i had watched in a long time uh maryland there's no shame in losing to UConn ever, even though this was one apparently that was supposed to be rebuilding. You couldn't have could fooled me. Uh, they were really, really good. Uh, but Maryland, you saw a lot of the great players in this game, right, Thomas? I mean, besides the obvious Shatori Walker-Kimbrough, but Destiny Slocum, man. Like, th- this Maryland team is so talented and is still so young. So you start your mouth starts to water at the things that they could do. Uh, down the line and they responded well be- beating Minnesota on the road right after this loss and that's a good thing to see from a team that just suffered a really it was a high profile loss but it was a tough loss at home against a team that they competed really well with and there isn't a better team in the country than that mm-hmm. yeah I mean you know Gino said after that game that he 
planned his schedule so that they would lose. You know, they he didn't think he had this good of a team. But, you know, Katie Lou Samuelson, who scored 23 in that game, has become a star after being just kind of a role player last year. Um, you know, they've had a bunch of players like that. And so, you know, you what you see is what you get. I mean, they're an incredibly well-coached team that won't have very many off nights. And so if you let up against them for any amount of time, they'll go on a run. That's what they did against Maryland. They went on runs of 7 nothing, 9 nothing, and that 14 nothing run, which killed them. Um, and but other than that, and got it within like seven, and you thought they, they can get it closer, and that's a testament. They to did, how but good it's one of those that, is. yeah. And also worth noting that Walker Cambro didn't even have that good of a game. She didn't hit a three. Mm-hmm. She was five of thirteen from the field. She was probably Maryland's like fourth best player at best in that game, and she's one of the best players in the country on a night-to-night basis. So, I mean. They are, if if all of them have good games at the same time, and like Bree Jones, who is basically unstoppable against pretty much everybody, you know, was six of seven from the field in that game. But she had foul trouble, and UConn's bigs had foul trouble but didn't foul out early. Um, it, a lot of things could have gone a little differently, and that game could have been even closer. Um, but, yeah, Maryland kind of, established itself as definitely a team that's still going to be contending all season and should be really fun to watch in the conference. I think that's the, the, the deciding thing from this game is that there are a lot of good teams that UConn played, and at some point they just couldn't hang with them anymore. And Maryland hung with them the entire way, despite all of that. And this is, as we said, the freshman that Maryland has – Brianna Jones and Shatori Walker Kimbrough have been around a while, but the freshman Thomas that Maryland has, they have an amazing recruiting class. Then you watch some of them play and you're like, yep, they're, they're worth every bit of hype that they got. Uh, Destiny Slocum was amazing. That was so much, she was so much fun to watch. And it gives you reason to watch them going forward because, yeah, there's another, there's a potential meeting with UConn again down the line, and I wouldn't be shocked if we say it. Yeah, no, Slocum is, you know, a ton of fun. Um, and Kyla Charles, who has been playing kind of a, a weird sort of small forward stretch four. She's listed as a guard. Um, but but she had 18 points in that game. So she's going to be also a big piece. I mean, they, they've kind of tightened the rotation a bit. And so not all of those freshmen are playing much right now. Um, like, they, they only played nine against UConn, and they had played – um, you know, 11 or 12 in pretty much every game till then. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how many of these freshmen, of these younger players, uh, do stick in the rotation as conference play goes on. But there's definitely a lot of young talent behind the two seniors. Okay, Ryan, I'll get you in on this. And we're running really long, so I don't want to make this too long of a comment, but... His first women's game you've covered in a while, and it was an amazing atmosphere. So for somebody who isn't knee-deep in the women's game like I am, like Thomas is, for instance, and you're more like me, who comes in at times, kind of like when you're playing UConn at home, for instance, what was the atmosphere like for somebody like you? Who, I mean, you follow, obviously, a ton of Maryland sports, but you're not on the women's basketball beat all the time. Uh, to cover a game like that, what, what, what was that like for you? Oh, I mean, it was the atmosphere, as I'm sure Thomas can attest to, was, you know, it got as loud in there as I've really ever heard it in Xfinity Center. And, uh, I mean, the biggest takeaway was more, it was mostly just people should go to these games more often because I've been to the games where, you know, the normal crowd, as Thomas can tell you, is real sparse and it's, it, it really shouldn't be because it's, it's really exciting. He's like, for what was it it's normally about a 4,000 seat crowd and even for the tournament last year and Maryland Thomas was playing Washington who has Kelsey Plum who's also like friggin amazing and Maryland got what 4,000 people like five four five thousand people that game to get it sold out and that kind of crazy atmosphere like that's the kind of atmosphere you only really saw for maybe Duke games and I guess the Iowa game last year got somewhat close to that but not to the same extreme 
but it was really different kind of atmosphere in a way because it was a women's game and it just the atmosphere feels different at those games but it was still equally awesome and yes you should all go out to more of these games and while you're not playing UConn every game women's basketball is a ton of fun and this Maryland team is a ton of fun and you should definitely go watch them more yeah I think uh, that is really the message I mean that the team is definitely you know an objectively fun one to watch uh, with all the talent that they have and you know, they play kind of an up-tempo style. So, I mean, they won't have a ton of competition in the Big Ten. Ohio State has always been a tough matchup for them. Uh, they only play them on the road this year, and that's in February. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot in the Big Ten. No great teams other than Maryland and Ohio State, but you'll see some entertaining games for sure. So, if you're listening to this, uh, hit up Xfinity. It'll be fun. Not very hard to get. Obviously not hard to get tickets, and they're probably pretty cheap, so you should definitely go to that. Uh, and the final thing is UConn, you got that one, but now you have Randy Edsel back. So overall, I think Maryland still got the better of the deal. So that was a long podcast. We had so much to get to, but I do think we got to all of it in the 50 minutes that we spent. Um, that was, I wanted Matt Allen to talk here, but he's in a much better place, which is warmer <laughs> and has no internet connection. So I hope he, he'll be back and we'll talk more about these games. He has not actually seen any of the Maryland games yet. I don't know when he gets back, but I'm pretty sure he's not going to be very happy when he sees the ending of the Nebraska game. So stay tuned for Twitter when he announces that. But he'll be back uh, probably next week when we talk about more games. And also stay tuned for recruiting stuff for football because that is going to get crazier and crazier as time goes on so hey pretty fun start to 2017 or bad way to end 2016 however way you want to look at it but there's certainly a lot to go so on to great stuff this year ryan you as well yep and same for you thomas we we're gonna need the women's basketball updates at every show i'm gonna try to make that a thing as much as humanly possible i'm here for it I know you are, and you're the best at it. And we, we should give the women's basketball team more coverage than just talking about it because they played UConn, et cetera, et cetera, uh, because they deserve the coverage. And they're, again, they're one of the best teams consistently on campus every single season, and this team is as much fun as any, as I said. I haven't had as much fun watching a basketball game at any level and for any gender in a long time than watching that UConn game. So hopefully you've enjoyed that. Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, enjoy the upcoming games. We'll have another podcast next week. Uh, but of course, no terms.